Happy Halloween about South listeners. We have a very special spooky episode for you today with Eric Gary Anderson. Eric is an associate professor of English at George Mason University, where he teaches Native and Southern studies. In addition to his first book, American Indian Literature in the Southwest, he's published more than 20 essays and edited volumes and journals. And his most recent work includes contributions to Keywords for Southern Studies, Native South, and the Oxford Handbook of the Literature of the U.S. South, as well as the book we'll be talking about today, Undead Souths, The Gothic and Beyond in Southern Literature and Culture, which is a collection of critical essays he co-edited with Taylor Haygood and Daniel Cross Turner. Eric and I talk about all of your favorite Southern scary items. And we also had a bit of our own spooky encounter with William Faulkner, which you'll hear more about now. Welcome, Eric. Oh, thank you, Gina. We, now one thing to know, originally, Eric and I, um, had attempted to record this podcast on William Faulkner's grave. <laughs> like, literally, we went to the graveyard. We're here in Oxford, Mississippi together. We set up shop. We were battling storms, but we thought we had a clearing. We got to the grave. And Erica, from your perspective, what happened that next? <laughs> well, basically, the wrathful, undead spirit of William Faulkner stopped us in our tracks. Um, none of the technology would work. Um, Gina's laptop froze twice, which apparently never happens. When I hit record. Yes. Yes. Exactly at the moment when we, um, tried to start, tried to start. Then I said, okay, we'll try the iPad, which also didn't seem to want to pick up the microphone input, right? Right. There was one moment where you recorded something and we heard your voice on playback, but that was it. Right. Yeah. That one shining moment of... Yes. um, Hope. Hope. (laughs) Then we moved the laptop off the grave because we thought maybe it was a respect issue. Right? Mm -hmm. We moved Mm -hmm. the laptop to the wall of the grave. And keep in mind, all picture at home, if you will, listeners, that all of this is happening under a giant golf umbrella. We had made a little recording rain tent set up for the computer. <laughs> and when we moved the computer first, then the computer wouldn't pick up the microphone either, right? Is that what happened next? At some point, the computer would not register that the microphone That's was right. plugged in. Yeah, that, that started to happen and it kept on happening. Then it did pick up the microphone and we were able to record. But when we played it back, we didn't hear anything. Nothing. Yet. Except soon we may hear Bill's ghost. (sighs) Yeah, so we haven't worked up the courage to actually crank up the volume and play it back again. Now that we're away from Bill, um, try to find out whether he left us some sort of uh, uh, message. I am nervous 
we had talked about Eric and I in preparation for today had talked about the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. and I feel like we just experienced a little bit of the William Faulkner Project. <laughs> <laughs> where I don't know if this means William Faulkner is not a personal fan of me, Eric, or about South. Mm-hmm. But I want to feel like he'd be an about South fan. So I'm going to hold on to that hope. Maybe on mm-hmm. the recording he'll tell me what he thinks. And if you're listening to this, you might think about giving one of us a call or sending us an email just to kind of make sure that we're there. Yeah, because maybe after this airs, he's going to be super pissed. Yeah. And we have to, as Gina pointed out when we were at the graveyard, that um, most of the problems that we had with our technology were problems with the one piece of technology Faulkner would have known, the microphone. He couldn't really mess with the laptop because yeah. he didn't know what he was dealing with. He doesn't know from laptops. He doesn't know from iPads. Doesn't know how those things work. But the microphone. Yeah. I think he could uh, take control of that. And I think he did. Yeah. Why are there so many ghosts in the South? In terms of representation Mm -hmm. or perception. Mm -hmm. And we know, just to kind of work my way into your question, that... um, Faulkner liked to take wagon loads of little kids out into the woods around Roanoke and places in Oxford and tell them ghost stories, Um, family ghosts. He has a werewolf story. Um, I have to say that, you know, werewolf stories kind of vary when it comes to how scary they are. But this one, this one's pretty scary. Do you know it? It is a story about a young man from London. So it's interesting in part because it's set in England. Um, So maybe he was watching the classic Wolfman movie with Lon Chaney Jr., which is also set in England. Um, Who knows? But the young man from London goes off to a very small, very remote village somewhere out there to visit his ailing aunt. And he gets off the train middle of the night the station is completely deserted there's no one there to pick him up so he decides just to chill at the station there's a fire burning um he finally realizes that there's one other dude in the station and this guy is kind of alarmingly hairy (laughs) Um, not just like regular hairy right he's he's a little too big he's a little too hairy etc right and he's able to speak english words in complete sentences more or less so you know it's not exactly a werewolf trend so you feel a little bit better about him because of that um but it just kind of gets creepier and creepier. The guy sort of invades the young man's personal space, right? Um, and it gets to the point where the the young guy just wants out, even though it's a two or three mile walk in the middle of the night through pitch dark, whatever, you know, country. Um, and uh, he doesn't even get out the door or the window. Boom. Wolf. 
And so this is a story he would tell to probably, I don't know, seven, eight-year-old kids out in the woods around Roanoke. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's some of the spooky kind of oral storytelling that's now been transcribed and written down by his niece, Dean Faulkner Wells. But um, it's a couple of examples or one example of um, Southern spooky stuff but you know i would i would say thinking about your question that um in some ways the south is not that much different from any other place and we talked about this a little bit earlier that um ghost stories are always attached to location Mm -hmm. right they're always attached to a, a place and it's a very specific place it's a house um or it's a part of a house it's a bedroom it's a basement it's a hallway it's a bathroom with a mirror, you know. Um, there are a lot of ghost stories set along highways, right, where the white lady shows up as you're driving by and you stop and offer her a ride and you give her a ride and then, you know, you get to um, the place where she wants to be dropped off and you drop her off and everything seems cool and then you find out later that, um, you know, she actually died 10 years ago. Oh, I've, I've heard yeah. that version... Um... Usually it feels like a prom night story, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I've heard the prom night yeah. version of that, yeah. that someone died on their way to yeah. prom, and then, they, yeah, and then you find out, and sometimes, like, mm-hmm. they were decapitated, and there's a ribbon on their neck <laughs> to hide where their head mm-hmm. has been stitched mm-hmm. on. That's a big one. I feel like that one was really popular around where I grew up in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, and the one that we heard in New Jersey when I was growing up was the man with the hook story. Um, And these are, um, I mean, the beauty of them as we're already getting at is that they are, um, there's a baseline, but there's lots of variations. I mean, with the white lady story, you basically just need. um, But when you say white lady, do you mean like. Dressed in white. Right. Not just like any white woman on the side of the road may be dead. Right. It's not, um, it's not racialized she's wearing really. something she's white. wearing something okay. white which is <laughs> she know, could be any race she is in white dress yeah yeah i am wearing a white dress right now that's right it's that, yeah. <laughs> i'm talking here with the white lady about <laughs> i am also a white lady yes a white lady a white white lady <laughs> you're gonna i hope that you aren't gonna find out that i died 10 years ago <laughs> that could explain what happened to Wait, it's all coming. Oh my God, I'm screwed. <laughs> Some chef on Eric, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so what? I mean, yeah, there, there's variations, but usually you need a driver and sometimes a passenger for corroboration, and then the, the hitchhiker white lady, or you know, and sometimes it's North Carolina, sometimes it's someplace else. But yeah, it can be in New Jersey. It's yeah. anywhere there's an interstate. And the, the man with the hook story is a kind of an urban urban legend slash. I don't know the man with the hook story. Folk, folk, folk tale, and it's um, it's it's places Lovers Lane. Oh, and it can be a Lovers Lane anywhere. Anywhere. Okay. And I had a colleague at Mason, a folklorist who was sort of a scholar of these kinds of ghost lore yeah. stories, and she's had this kind of archive of um, versions, variations of the story, and. You know, when I saw her do this in front of the class, she would collect stories for a while and then say, where are you from? And then she would often say, kind of nod her head knowingly and say, oh, yeah, I knew you were from Western PA because of your variation in the story. So they have kind of local or regional 
I mean, the, the it's version... authenticity markers. Yeah, to yeah, the mark that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the the versions are marked regionally and and sometimes kind of state or regions within state um, ishly. But okay. <laughs> um, and so many folk tales are about spooky stuff, and I mean, you all have your own um, stories, um, you know, and um, they could be anywhere, right? They're not just southern i mean there are certainly southern versions um and and so there's that right that there is a sort of um nationwide <laughs> archive of spooky stuff you know i think when we talk about the south in particular i think it it's something that has been morphing in really interesting ways um certainly through the 20th century i mean we've had this thing um, this singular thing, the Southern Gothic, right? Um, and it's the thing that's been most kind of specifically attached to the South when it comes to spooky stuff. And it's a European import. Um, it is all about very kind of self-contained, closed circuit places, right? It's an old dark house um, and all the spooky stuff happens inside the old dark house or maybe out on the grounds and there are links between what's going on in the architectural interior and what's going on in the psychic interiors of the people right that's also something you see in new england spooky stories like you know hawthorne and poe stories of course but you know the southern gothic i think it's it's a mostly a kind of closed system thing it comes mostly from um, british and european sources and it is often linked to the civil war to plantations to slavery right so it airs out fears and anxieties white fears and anxieties often that are not again completely totally attached to the south but that are really associated with the south right um and you know there are some great southern gothic stories but there are also um limits for our listeners at home who haven't had a chance to pick up Undead Souths yet, but are going to, importantly, there's a link on the website. What is the Undead South? Or perhaps a better question is, what are Undead Souths? That's a great question. And it's interesting that um, yeah, I've done a few other interviews and found that to be a surprisingly hard question to answer. And I think the reason why it's a hard question to answer is because there are so many answers that, you know, when we start kind of opening that door and saying, okay, um, let's go, f well, not exactly from Southern Gothic, but sort of, you know, let's move further away from that smaller thing um, and open the door to this much more um, open-ended thing. Um, you begin to realize that it's almost like what isn't everything's the undead south, right? um, and that's an exaggeration, but not by much, right? That that you know the metaphor um, comes. I mean, I think Southern Gothic isn't really a metaphor, but undead souths. I mean, undeadness is a metaphor, mm -hmm. and it's a metaphor for um, basically anything that rises up. Um, and rises up in some sort of uh, troubling, creepy, disturbing, scary, supernatural, 
kind of way, right? Um, so, you know, yes, it does include, I mean, undeadness obviously includes ghosts and vampires and um, zombies, um, probably other kinds of monsters as well, although not all kinds. Like, not, every, not every monster rises up. Um, not every monster is undead. Werewolves um, are not undead. Right, right. And, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, like nuclear, nuclear mutation monster is not, not undead. Um, it's just transformed. And so what we were trying to do with Undead Souths, right, is pluralize it. Take the singular um, and pluralize it and say, well, look, there's a lot more going on. Um, and one of the keys is that it's not just a European or a British genealogy. So we're, ta we're looking at that, but we're also looking at Caribbean and indigenous is really important to the book, African. Um, and if we wanted, I don't think we'd do a whole lot with South America or Central America, but we certainly could. have local inflections in terms of place but then because of historical context in the south the southern gothic has also operated through a mode of white psychological guilt tradi as exactly. traditionally understood and that's because a lot of not fictional scary things have happened mm -hmm. here a lot of legitimately true in reality horrifying things mm -hmm. it is a region that is heavily attached with the horrors of slavery, the horrors of Indian removal, the horrors of a civil war, mm -hmm. that death for was highly present for so much of U.S. Southern and Caribbean and other kind of general circum-Caribbean South history, mm -hmm. that the way those local inflections get tied to place take on an added valence within the U.S., is that a fair under assessment? Yeah, that's that's really right on. Um, and I think you know there there are different kind of um, registers um, when it comes to those white anxieties and feelings of guilt. So I think the kind of anxieties and fears and regrets, guilt associated with the Civil War and with um, black-white race relations are pretty close to the surface, but also have depths that are hard to think about and talk about. Um, but it's different for Indian removal, I think, because that's much more kind of cast aside, right? It's it's less central to a lot of um, Southerners. Yeah, I don't and, know and if a lot, lot of Americans. Of, yeah. Um, consciousnesses, so I think, you know, I think um, Renee Berglund is right in the National Uncanny that those feelings of guilt and anxiety are there. Um, but they're there in a kind of more um, subterranean way. It's the Indian burial ground phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, the the colonizer as an Indian burial ground, you know, and as a um, an Indian barrier. I'm kind of want to turn us a little bit to, in addition to ghost, all of the number of various undead things. So 
vampires. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a previous episode with um, Molly McGee where we talked about the Vampire Diaries. Mm-hmm. Why set that in Virginia, even though it's filmed in Georgia? The True Blood. Mm-hmm. You have the American Horror Story with the witches. You've got the phenomenon of The Walking Dead with zombies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems that... And Molly and I were speculating, is the South shorthand for popular narratives of creepiness? <laughs> that writers don't have to do... It's be, The South has become so invested with these ideas of the Southern Gothic and the plantation and these other places as scary places, mm-hmm. you know, in a ghostly sense mm-hmm. or a paranormal sense, that now if I wanted to start and do a show about something paranormal or creepy, if I start with a setting in the South, half my work is done for me. <laughs> How does that, I mean, do you, do you see that phenomenon happening or is this just all like the economics of where to film? Yeah, I think that's the market and the you know the economics of where to film is definitely part of it. Um, I know that Atlanta is rising up as a a place to make films, right? Television yes. shows. So I think that's that's part of it. And the market for um, the Suki Stackhouse novels is you know they're bestsellers, they're well known, they're popular. It makes sense, um, you know, to to work them up as a series. Um, but I mean, whenever something rises up, it rises up for a reason, right? Whether it's a vampire or a zombie, you know, a vampire, as we say in the book, is um, puncturing and punctuating something, right? Um, zombie is rising up in a different way to reflect and critique something else, right? But they're, they're, they're figures that, that, you know, I mean, the vampire especially, I think, is a really, really flexible container. I mean, it's a metaphor for lots and lots and lots of different things um including um you know the sort of economic capitalist stuff that you know zombies are also often read as satirizing or critiquing or sort of uh, mm-hmm. sort of um slightly or not so slightly exaggerating things that are already happening in um kind of late capitalist um <laughs> consumer culture right so so in some ways with, and it's interesting how different The Walking Dead and True Blood are. Yeah. Um, that not It's not just that one is zombies and one is vampires, but one is sort of urban, one is not so urban, one is um, post-apocalyptic, right? Um, the other is sort of mostly contemporary, but has more, um, much more nostalgia for old, older and pretty recognizable Louisiana South. I mean, there are Civil War tie-ins, right? Um, but True Blood also kind of vaults us in that weird, I mean, so many different ways you can read blood. And, and the show is really, I think, pretty smart about playing with that. And I think you could talk about how some of those ways of reading blood um, connect up with Southern ideologies of blood ideologies right? right you know and so you know when the vampire is uh basically colonizing through blood um what is he or she colonizing and why right so dracula wants to come over from transylvania to london and his idea is to um, create what bram stoker calls a new 
or actually what yeah what one of the other characters um calls a new race a new race of vampires and that's just the most horrifying thing ever right and then in in true blood it's different um you know well it's, it's still racial but it's it's also that weird kind of like vampires are going to become sort of a, a political empire, right? And I think a, a business empire as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still imperialists, right? Right. Um, and, and so it's the question of how that the work that they're doing comments in some way on something that is happening in the South. I, I tend to think of the, um, you know, the kind of like, fundamentalist religious dynasties in the south um and how that's coming in i was going to ask about that because confederate ghosts seem to be a big theme in the south and that's a big part of the book too i mean as it has to be right that that's um you know we're talking about the south rising again one of the other kind of origin texts i think for zombies in the south is this really kind of crazy 60s movie by herschel gordon lewis who's kind of a one of the first kind of splatter, I was going to say splatter punk, but that's not quite right. Kind of splatter films, right? Splatter horror. And um, so basically he's bringing in more gore um, than was ever seen before. But his, it's a story about kind of a convertible full of um, outsiders. I think they're probably, nor- they're northerners. Okay. And they roll in and they see a, sign that says this way to such and such town i don't remember the name of the town and they go and the town is a small southern town and they'll you know a bunch of good old boys and good old girls and they're um they're having a festival and these people kind of realize gradually that they're kind of being invited to take part in the festival but they're also kind of being compelled um mm. And, and they end up getting, uh, most of them end up getting taken down. Um, and I guess I can go ahead, I guess to, to kind of... You can spoil it. To complete the thought, I really yeah. have to. So, okay, yeah, spoil um, it. Spoil away. So in the end, we find out that this is a town full of um, zombies. And it has nothing to do with religion. Okay. unless you Except for the Confederacy, right? Uh, as religion but it's really pretty secular and they they rise up they're confederate zombies they are southern civil war era and and therefore confederate undead whoa and they rise up i think i'd have to double check this but i think it's tied to uh time it's tied to the calendar like they, they rise up because it's you know the anniversary of something I don't remember whether it's every year. It's more widespread than that. But the point is that, you know, the tagline for the movie was something like the South will rise again. Um, and it does, you know, and it does. And then they eat. They, they kill. They kill they northern kill the, teenagers. Yeah, yeah. As so, revenge. So they want to not have lost the war. Um, they want not to be the lost cause. You know, they want to... Um, they want revenge, I guess. You know, they want their ways, their old right. Way, I they guess. want but, everything about the old South. Yeah, yeah. It seems oh. like, um, and so, you know, so that's that's part of it. And I think you know we talked earlier about how it's all about 
undeadness is about much much more than just that southern story right so one thing the book does is um sort of decenter the lost cause the civil war plantation well not the plantations but the lost cause the civil war um the antebellum postbellum stuff that we hear so much about right that whole discourse um, but you can't escape it just like you can't escape the gothic right we originally wanted to call the book um beyond the gothic and we couldn't do it because you can't get beyond you can't it. get you can't get beyond the gothic series of Halloween questions. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh yeah, always. Okay, it's not a game. I wish I had like some sort of clever game, <laughs> but I don't. Um, I do Halloween countdowns, like how many days is it? Yeah. How many days away are we? You know? Oh, I don't know. Four, <laughs> four by the time anyone's hearing this? Um, I mean, my, maybe three? I, yeah. But I'll do them at any time of the year, you know. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Like, like you could tell me how many days to Halloween right well, now? Well, not off the top of my head, oh, okay. but I, I have help from, you know, pages I follow and things. Oh, yeah, they, the internet. You know. Um, okay, so favorite vampire? Well, to bring it back to the South. Okay. Um, there is a very strange, not bad, but very strange um, sequel to Dracula. Um, so the, the first sequel to Dracula is called Dracula's Daughter and it has nothing to do with the South. It is uh, um, a kind of pretty queer film about Dracula's daughter who thinks she wants to not be a vampire anymore but can't help herself and, you know, is very clearly attracted to um, women um and chooses women victims and blah 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 but um the next the, the second sequel to the original 1931 dracula um for some reason that's not entirely clear um brings him to some small town in georgia and he decides that you know he wants to travel incognito so he calls himself count alucard Okay. Which is Dracula backwards. <laughs> and in the first... Oh, God. I know. Like, in the first... Like, literally, in the first two minutes of the film, one of the, the dudes in the small southern town looks at a crate with Count Alicard on it and says, that's Dracula backwards. So, <laughs> and that really sets the tone for the movie. And so, like, he, Alucard is your favorite southern vampire? So, so, that sets the tone for sort of the competence of this okay. <laughs> vampire and is played by Lon Chaney Jr., who's like not the world's greatest actor. I mean, he was pretty good in The Wolfman as The Wolfman, but he's, he's kind of a... He's kind of pouty, you know, <laughs> and he, he poor mouths himself and bemoans his situation a lot and things. But so he comes in as this sort of like puffy middle-aged um, 
vampire who doesn't even try a Transylvanian accent. Like, it makes no sense that he's the son of Dracula. Like, there's nothing connecting him to the, the original representation of Dracula. Oh, he's the Dracula's son. Yeah, the son of okay. Dracula. Who wants to go on a vacation, so he ends up in a small town in Georgia. He doesn't want to go on vacation, though, oh. as it turns out. <laughs> um, the movie is uh, 1941, and he... Says as it's Lon Chaney Jr., he pronounces the word wrong, but he says that he wants to come over here because Americans are a virile people, and Europeans are kind of degenerating and becoming feeble and losing what they once had, and he wants to come over here because Americans are cooler and more awesome, and you know, so it's a World War II um, propaganda film in disguise as a vampire film, but um, you know, it's so weird. I mean, he, he doesn't have a Castle Dracula, so he parks his coffin in a swamp. And so Aww. he actually rises up out of the water, which, like, the less you think about that, the better, you know? <laughs> um, and it's it's not a bad movie. It looks good. You know, it's got all the dry ice going on, and uh, they, they do their best with the southern setting and things. But I like it because it's so kind of quirky. Yeah. eccentric you know i <laughs> yeah. mean I, I don't like passionately love it as a horror film but it's it's really fun to think about as a southern okay vampire film all right best favorite favorite witch favorite witch well it's the one that uh i think we can again arguably talk about as southern right the blair witch the blair witch yes. who is from maryland, maryland. western maryland well, the woods somewhere, so it's very possibly western. I think it actually is. Okay. Um, and I think I think they sort of tell us. God, I loved that movie. Yeah, me too. I mean, I realize now it's so passe, but at the time, as I told Eric earlier today, I saw it in the theater the night it came out mm. in Durham, North Carolina. I remember it so clearly yeah. and i was entirely freaked out yep yeah what well, was one of the first found footage hand, you know kind of handheld camera horror films and so it was really revolutionary i mean just the way it looked and the way it worked and the you know the way it was trying to be meta you know and um you know so it kind of starts off very clearly specifically located and then of course the witch I guess leads them astray, right? So they lose their way in the woods, and it's very New Englandy in that way. I mean, it's very kind of Hawthorne-y. Um, but it's Maryland, you know. It's a border state. It's a border state, you know, and they they step into something that they can't step out of, um, and it's creepy as anything. And it's I think you know, I mean, it's, there's always the question of the reveal in a horror film. Um, you got to do the reveal right, you know, because it's, it's the big, it's the big thing, right? Is what, what is this thing, right? What is this horror? What is this undead thing? What has risen up and what does it look like? You know, and that's, you just kind of deal from there, right? But mm -hmm. you never see the Blair Witch. No. You see little, um, twigs, these little piles of twigs and 
rocks, you know. <laughs> she's basically just like a bad craftsman. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? like she's trying to start an Etsy store and it's yeah, not right, going so right. well. Or like a girl girl scout gone <laughs> horribly wrong. You know, Except, there should be know? like little burned cookie boxes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what does the Blair Witch want? Yeah. Her cookies. Yeah, right. Here's what I think of you know, <laughs> thin mints. Yeah, thin mints. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a really great film. I, th- I mean, I know it's 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 become cool to criticize. I mean, it criticize is. It, but I I love it. I would challenge anyone to go back in time to my experience seeing it and not be yeah thoroughly creeped out. Also, because it was before the internet was just barely a thing. Mm-hmm. And they did this great online promotion, I remember, right? Like, where there was a little bit of teaser online. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. was it, was this a real story? I mean, this is before even Google. I mean, this is when we used to, like, yeah, like, yahooing something was a big deal, you know? <laughs> like us, you know? <laughs> yeah, like us. Ask Jeeves. And, yeah. like, you could do something. You could type in the Blair Witch. And they did a really good job with that viral marketing oh, yeah. of not knowing if what you were about to see, playing with that distinction, which we've returned to again and again so far, between what is reality and what is fiction. Mm-hmm. That film did that masterfully. Yeah. Yeah. And continues to do it because you don't you don't have the reveal to say oh, you know. Yeah. That's our episode this week. We'd like to thank Eric for taking the time to talk to us about all of our favorite Halloween things. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is co-producer. Music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. Oh, and we forgot to let you hear from our very, very special guest. Let me introduce William Faulkner from his grave. Okay, just kidding. That first part was indeed the sound of William Faulkner's grave. That last sound that sounded like a zombie, that was actually a pug, dog. And she's on our episode next week when we sit down with Joey Kennedy, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from Birmingham, to talk about 
this crazy election cycle and what it means for the South. Until then, happy Halloween.